0: Um, when it comes to bruxism that's a difficult one because it's usually silent there's no noise there it's normally painless and it's happened it happens slowly over a period of time where teeth can get shorter so i mean dentists are very clear when they look in a patient's mouth that yes th- there's excessive wear going on this kind of shiny facets where the teeth are rubbing against each other and there's a lot of telltale signs for dentists for patients a common one is waking in the morning with bilateral jaw pain, pain both sides around the you know the the cheekbone area. So that's the muscle being overworked. So that can be tender in the mornings, and when you press in, it's tender as well. So that's a a telltale sign of bruxism. And of course, the other ones are just as i said tooth wear excessive fractures of teeth that kind of thing and headaches so headaches that occur in the morning often and especially if it's more what we call tension type headaches or both sides that tends to be one of the you know cardinal signs of of bruxism
1: Hey there, welcome to the Happy Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew. We talk health and well-being every Monday and Thursday. A reminder, we're on YouTube and Instagram now if you want to check out the videos of these interviews and episodes. Just search for the Happy Habit Podcast on both platforms. And remember, if you're getting value from this series at all, if you'd like to support this podcast, please like, subscribe, share, and leave the podcast to four stars or five stars if you think we have earned it. And if you've already done so, thank you very much indeed. Now, today we are continuing with our recent sleep series because there's been a huge interest in these episodes of late. So I'm delighted to be speaking with Dr. Harry Ball, who is a physician with a background in dentistry who now helps people with sleep problems. In this episode, we find out how dental issues and sleep are related. We discover exactly what bruxism or teeth grinding is and how it presents itself. We hear about restless leg syndrome. We learn how disordered breathing can lead to sleep disturbances. Expect to hear about CPAP machines and how they help people with nocturnal breathing problems. We also learn what signs to look out for and which medical professionals to approach if we are struggling with our sleep. Plus, we discover the health implications of chronic insomnia and lots more.
2: Dr. Harry Ball, thank you so much for being here on the podcast. You are the co-founder of the Dental Sleep Institute. Now, many people listening will think this is a new departure. What has dentistry got to do with sleep? Can you clarify? Yes, a lot of people ask that question and so because
0: sleep or at least breathing disorders so one of the main problems with sleep is is what's called sleep disordered breathing which is problems with sleep apnea and snoring and that's going to disrupt the whole quality of sleep and the principal cause of that is obstruction of the airway you've got too big a tongue and not a lot of space at the back of the throat when people fall asleep everything tends to flop back and interfere with airflow coming through and oxygen levels drop in the blood and that will cause all sorts of problems because that's one of our key reflexes in staying alive is maintaining an airway. So as as dentists, we've actually got one of the main treatments for sleep apnea because we can alter the anatomy of the mouth by holding the jaw slightly forward and stopping the tongue dropping back. So it, it, so dentistry is involved in that area because of the fact that we can make devices that that can alter the course of that of, of sleep apnea.
2: And at what point in your career did you go in that direction of uh, trying to help people improve their quality of sleep? Given your background as a dentist, because it wouldn't have been a natural progression for you at the time, because this this is a, a relatively new uh, area of uh, of medicine, really, isn't it?
0: Well, not really. Like the first devices were were around, were developed in the 1930s.
2: Oh wow! And no, so I, I didn't know that. That's oh okay.
0: it's been it's been known that that holding the jaw forward can have an impact on on breathing, airway, and snoring, but it was only in the last maybe five or ten years when. The research studies were done because that, that's the language of medicine you know that is it something that's that's evidence-based can we prove that it really works and not just whether it works how well does it work and how does it compare to the other treatments like the cpap machine but to answer your question um i was i'd left general dentistry about 25 years ago and i was working at the royal melbourne dental hospital in melbourne in the in a pain clinic. It's called the temporomandibular disorders pain clinic this is people who have problems with their jaw joints and and we often see people who clench and grind their teeth and a patient and often a lot of people who grind teeth, we know now that a lot of people who have sleep disordered breathing who have problems with sleep apnea snoring also grind their teeth that goes hand in hand for various reasons so this patient came in to see me and he, he was clenching a lot and i, and I just asked him at that visit whether he makes any noises clenching or grinding and he said look no one would hear him because he snores so loud and he was saying that the snoring was a really big problem he was sleeping in a separate bedroom and and so i had heard about appliances I, it, someone had told me about them when i was overseas i thought i'm going to have a go here rather than making him a device that protects his teeth from clenching and grinding but that's like a horseshoe which goes over the top of the teeth i'm going to make him something just a little bit different, and which will hold the jaw forward. And so it was just a complete experiment on my behalf. And and I did it, and he came back, and it was kind of life-changing for him. He was feeling more refreshed. He wasn't snoring. In fact, I remember his wife said on on the first night he she thought he'd died. She, he, she, she had to keep checking to see whether he was alive because she wasn't used to him being silent, you know. And he was telling me that, you know, like, they were wanting to travel around australia in a van but she wouldn't go with him because he'd be snoring and and now they were planning to do it and you know it just it was it, it, this area can have such a big impact on the quality of people's lives that it really got me hooked and i wanted to discover all i could about the area and that was around when i i started to get involved and went to the the this area has been developed in the states for quite some time and and so wound up going to lots of programs there and that was the first of when I got involved in, in, in this area.
2: Well, I'm glad you mentioned bruxism or teeth grinding. I want to ask you just about that. Does teeth grinding or Brooksism happen before sleep apnea or does it, or sleep apnea give rise to teeth grinding or Brooksism or are they independent? Do they coexist? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question because this is a really
0: controversial area. Um, it, it, there's, a, there's quite a few controversial areas in this field within dentistry, and we the, and, the, and there's, there's a lot of research being done. And there are dentists that are missionary about the fact that that sleep apnea is is uh, is uh, a result of bruxism, that or, or that the other way around, that people brux to try and keep their airway open into tense muscles, but really if you look at all the studies we're just not sure what the relationship is between the two of them except we know that they coexist so we tell dentists all the time if if you see a patient that's braxing uh, then you should be asking about whether they also snore or whether they're tired or whether anyone's seen them stop breathing because a lot of those patients are going to have sleep apnea and you don't want to miss it because we, we i've seen in my practice where a dentist has made a, an appliance for bruxism for patients to wear to protect their teeth and maybe to reduce the impact on muscles. And then they wind up getting diagnosed with sleep apnea soon after. And then that's kind of wasted their money on this bruxism splint when in the first instance they would have been much better off having a mandibular advancement splint, which, which protects the teeth as well. It does both things. It protects the teeth. And it, uh, it and it helps alleviate the the sleep apnea snoring so so all I can say is that they coexist like if, if it's if you're a, a big Raxa or if you've got significant sleep apnea there's a very strong chance you're going to have sleep apnea but we don't know whether one cause is the it, it doesn't look like it for most people
2: Okay so in the absence of having a bad partner say you sleep alone how do you know that in that case that you either have sleep apnea or and, uh, br- you uh, brooks your teeth, or you grind your teeth during your sleep. What are the symptoms or signs?
0: Yeah, that's so. Yes, yeah, so that's that's really interesting. So, so looking maybe first at at sleep apnea. Um, obviously, if you've got a partner, snoring is the number one telltale factor. Snoring is a sign of obstruction. I mean, people laugh about snoring, but you're not meant to snore. If you snore, it's a sign that you've got obstruction, it's really important to then assess whether it's just what we call simple snoring. Or is it sleep apnea as well? Because because if someone snores chronically, like they're snoring most, most nights of the week and it's loud, you can almost bet they're going to have sleep apnea. I mean, m- most adults are going to snore some of the time if they're a little bit tired and they've had a bit too much to drink, they, they will snore. But if, if it's kind of a regular thing... So people, obviously, if you sleep alone, you may not know that you snore. But the other telltale signs are that you... Uh, Wake up unrefreshed, so that's one of the big things. So, I mean, obviously, people have got insomnia; they're only sleeping three or four hours. There's other reasons to wake up unrefreshed, but if you're getting at least six hours of sleep per night and you're waking up tired and and you're starting to nod off during the day, there's something going on there which should be assessed. And generally, people have a dry mouth as well, so they wake up with a very dry mouth because their their jaws kind of open trying to get a bit more air in so they're the sort of main or sometimes they might if they're severe they might wake up kind of gasping and then they, they kind of know there's something going on i mean with people who sleep alone there's really good apps now like there's one app called snore lab which is a free app and that's pretty accurate you just put it by a bedside table and it will record and it'll measure the intensity of snoring and so we, we, we for people who sleep alone who see us in the clinic, we, we might get them to use that to monitor how their snoring's going because that's a sign that they're moving in the right direction with their sleep apnea as well. And when it comes to bruxism, that's a difficult one because it's usually silent. There's no noise there. It's normally painless, and it's hap- it happens slowly over a period of time where teeth can get shorter. So, I mean, dentists are very clear when they look in a patient's mouth that, yes, there's excessive wear going on, this kind of shiny facets where the teeth are rubbing against each other. And there's a lot of telltale signs for dentists, for patients. A common one is waking in the morning with bilateral jaw pain, pain both sides around the, you know, the, the cheekbone area. So that's the muscle being overworked. So that can be tender in the mornings. And when you press in, it's tender as well. So that's a, a telltale sign of bruxism. And of course, the other ones are just, as I said, tooth wear, excessive fractures of teeth, that kind of thing. And headaches So headaches that occur in the morning, often, and especially if it's more what we call tension type headaches or both sides, that tends to be one of the you know, carnal signs of, of bruxism.
2: As a physician specializing in sleep problems, is your job made even more complicated when people present with more than one condition that's affecting their sleep?
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's a really good question. It's something we talk about a lot, is the fact that we we talk about it with dentists especially, because you know, as dentists, we have got a really good treatment for sleep apnea and snoring. So all the research now is starting to point to the fact that uh, that the oral appliances now especially the kind of state of the art appliances uh, are as virtually as good as the CPAP machine so they they're the only true frontline treatment so CPAP it was invented by an australian sleep physician and it was invented in 1980 and it was the only treatment really for sleep apnea uh, but oral appliances have now come to the fore where they're virtually equivalent and and so so, so they, they 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 are the 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 two the two main treatments. What was the question you you asked again, Matthew?
2: Well, ju- just in terms of if somebody has more than one sleep issue, yes, does it make it more yeah. difficult for you to basically resolve yeah. the problem?
0: Yeah, you know exactly. So so the point I was making that that oral mice is now a main treatment, and so dentists are really getting involved. But as dentists we can only treat snoring and sleep apnea. So we can get a great result if that's all the patient's got. But if you speak to any sleep physician, they'll tell you that probably 40 or 50% of the patients who present to them have got multiple sleep problems. They haven't just got snoring and sleep apnea or or sleep disordered breathing. That's That's what those two areas are called. But they've also got other problems like for example insomnia is obviously a common problem so people may have chronic insomnia which is separate well it could be related to the sleep apnea as well because they lose all confidence sleeping and sleeping is a, is a time where they're not very happy because they get really bad outcomes but so but the insomnia could be quite different from that as well it could be related to stress and anxiety and a lot of other things And then, and then there's other sleep related problems like restless leg syndrome it, you know problems with nightmares and and so people have got complex problems and it's really important that before we start just treating someone for their snoring and sleep apnea that there is a a a bit of a screening to see what else is there and, we, oh, and 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 it's important as dentists this is the one area in dentistry where dentists really shouldn't be just making an appliance and working on their own, they need to be working in a partnership with a sleep physician. So this is really important, this is what we teach, this is what we do in our own clinic. And and so we find, so so often the snoring in the sleep apnea will be a key problem, but if the patient, perhaps their snoring's improved but they're still tired, that could be a telltale sign there's something else going on and then we would involve sleep physicians and might do more testing. To see whether it's some other sleep disorder like narcolepsy is another type of disorder which can lead to severe sleepiness and, and often people have got sleep apnea as well so yes it's great treating the sleep apnea but it, it may not get rid of the problem and i mean tiredness is a really big problem in the community now and there's a lot of different reasons for tiredness and it's easy to think that it's all related to the sleep apnea
2: As as somebody with a dental background who is now dealing with uh, patients presenting with sleep issues, have you had much resistance from uh, physicians who are purely uh, sleep specialists? Uh, You you mentioned there that you have to consult with them and work with them, but I'm just wondering, uh, do do they accuse you at times of encroaching on their space, given your background as a dentist?
0: Yeah, (laughs) they're really interesting questions to explore. So. The, the answer is it, yes, it can, it can be the situation. It depends how a dentist practices. So there are, in every profession, there are what we term cowboys. You know, they just go into, patient comes in and says, I'm snoring. And instead of doing a proper assessment and getting, doing a sleep study, they'll say, yeah, have I got a solution for you, got a neural appliance and we'll treat your snoring. And so they'll just go and make an appliance. Uh, without any regard to the things that you pointed out, other potential sleep problems, and and the issue there is that you can get rid of someone snoring, but you may not get rid of their sleep apnea. So it's a bit. I, I use the analogy of if if you've got a great solution for someone for someone who coughs, you know, let's say someone got a really bad chronic cough, and you've got a pill that gets rid of it. Well, say so you get rid of the cough, they're really happy. But but what if the problem is something like lung cancer? You know you're masking the problem and that's the problem if you get rid of the snoring you you could be masking a problem the person can remain tired and could be a danger on the road and and at work so sleep physicians are not very happy with with people like that and they're taking a risk themselves because there could be legal ramifications for dentists doing stuff like that um Sometimes sleep, but if you work together with sleep physicians, if you do the right thing, form a partnership with them, they're really happy because we're screening all our patients. So the average dentist has got a couple of thousand patients and a lot of those are going to have problems with snoring. And you can send those patients off the sleep studies, get the sleep physician involved in giving it. We, we can't give a diagnosis for sleep apnea. So we involve the sleep physician, they get paid for it, they're happy with with all that. And so, so they're happy to be working with a dentist because they'll get work as well. And and the and the other thing is that the sleep physicians themselves they so so the main reason people go go to a sleep physician is for snoring and that i realize i have got sleep apnea. And up till recent times, all the sleep physician had up their sleeve to treat snoring and and sleep apnea is either the CPAP machine or tell him to lose weight or sleep on your side which doesn't really i mean everyone knows that they should lose weight and it's not easy to do Um, but the cpap machine is not easy to use you know the compliance is is not great you know if all the studies seem to show that only about 40 percent of people who are offered cpap and should be using it can't use it they just there's a whole lot of reasons where it's just difficult to sleep with air being blown through your airway now there are people there's there's still a lot of people that can use it and it can be a great life-changing treatment for those people. But the majority of people, particularly the ones who are in the mild to moderate range, like they're snoring, their sleep apnea is not that bad, but they still need treatment. They they just can't use CPAP. And for it for a sleep doctor, that that might represent 60% of their practice. So, if, so they're now recognizing they need dentists to work with or else they can't treat a lot of their patients. In the past, I'll offer them CPAP, and the CPAP winds up in the cupboard, not being used, and the patient not very happy with the, with the doctor, and they know that. So, so sleep doctors now are looking for trained dentists who work in the right way, with ethically, uh, in a partnership. So that's how I would, I would answer you.
2: Many of the patients that you would see would have been suffering with disturbed sleep and disordered breathing for years. They would have insomnia for a long, long time. Um, i'm I'm wondering, well, knowing that one night's disturbed sleep can really throw you out of kilter, but over the long term, what are the negative implications of chronic disturbed sleep or chronic disordered breathing?
0: yeah, it's it's a sort of thing that you're quite right. Like people are, when people see us, it's it's a chronic condition. I've had it for a long time, you know, and it usually it's often. What's known as a continuum of severity, where it might start off very mild when someone's younger. When you're younger, you've got kind of good muscle tone, and the the collapsibility of the airway is not as great. And as you get older, or if you put a bit more weight, the sleep apnea just gets kind of worse and worse. And by the time people get into it and are snoring, and and I think because it's so chronic, it it, it sort of creeps up. Often people don't realise that they're 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 more tired than they are. They almost think it's normal because it's been the way it's been for quite some time or they sometimes think well you know i'm getting into my 40s maybe this is how i'm i'm, I'm meant to feel often people aren't quite aware that that that's the problem and and in fact you know i i, I think things are changing but when, when i first started out i mean even the, the general practitioners the the medicos were that aware like if someone if someone's but tired and sleepy, you you really want to ask them whether they snore, and and because if you don't ask that question, then you assume. Oh, you start doing blood tests and start going down an, another pathway, and, and often you, you, the pro, the problem is is the is the the sleep apnea. So we we see patients who are you know, sometimes they're incredibly symptomatic. You know they. I mean sleep sleep is now regarded as, as one of the, you know with with exercise and nutrition one of the three key areas for health. Like it's just really if, if, if you're not getting reasonable sleep, the research has shown you are so much more prone to to cancer, cardiovascular problems, diabetes, it's it's a really it's, and, and that's not just that's if, so we're not talking just about sleep apnea, but talking about the quantity of sleep as well. You know if you're everyone's quite different in how much sleep they need the average person needs around seven hours but you know if you're getting say an hour less chronically and and then you throw in sleep apnea as well it's a it's a real double whammy and it has a bigger impact on on health and and quality of life but as i said we we get people the whole range and some people are that symptomatic they can they can't hold down a job they can't concentrate Having a really big impact. And by the time we see them, uh, it's uh, it's been there for a while and, and it affected all areas of their life. And it's really life changing when those people are treated. And it's a really rewarding area to work in because you see huge transformations. And the interesting thing is about it, which I'll just throw in there as well, that there's often not a strong correlation between severity and symptoms. So, so you often think, well, this person's really tired sleepy sleeping, and he's snoring loud, he must have severe sleep apnea, and, and it turns out it's mild. And there are other people who've got very severe sleep apnea and they're not particularly sleepy. So I just want to throw that in there, that that the, it, it, and it just highlights the importance of doing a sleep study because the sleep study is the only way you can diagnose sleep apnea. And it's not just the diagnosis which is important, but it's the level of severity because that will dictate what is the optimal treatment.
2: I'm glad you mentioned sleep studies. I know you perform them in your own clinic. Do you think everybody should avail of the opportunity to have a sleep study? Well, not, not, not everyone.
0: So the criteria for doing a sleep study, well, there's there's a lot of different reasons you would, you would do a sleep study, but if it's for sleep disordered breathing, yes. So anyone that snores regularly. And it's particularly if it's disturbing other people, so so just that alone is enough to do a sleep study. So so I would say that's the number one thing. If if the patient's tired as well, then the probability goes up that it's that it's sleep apnea. But if they don't snore, if someone doesn't snore and they're just tired, you know, then you wouldn't do a sleep study necessarily if if they're getting enough enough sleep. You know, if they're not getting enough sleep, you don't need to do a sleep study anyway because the problem is more insomnia. So if someone's tired but they don't snore, you, there's another pathway you'd, you'd go down. you know, is it to do with a chronic medical condition? Um, you know, is it due to medication? Is it due to is it due to a- anxiety and stress and, and and as I said, not getting enough sleep but in, and, and, th- and those things can be explored without having to do a sleep study. Uh, it's, it's, you, you would do a, a so, so that's the main reason you do a sleep study but there's also other conditions that gets picked up in a sleep study like restless r- leg syndrome so the, this is leg movements that disrupt the quality of sleep so that's that's picked up in in, in, in that's probably one of the other main things and then things like narcolepsy can if, if that's suspected a sleep study will, will be done for that but i'd say 90 five percent of reasons for a sleep study is, is to pick up sleep apnea and, and, and it needs to be done. It's really for the reason that I said before in that you you can be pretty sure someone's got sleep apnea, but you can't really know the severity. And the severity is really important in how the treatment goes.
2: And how successful are the treatments for sleep apnea now? Can somebody essentially fully recover from having that what would have been a, a very debilitating illness at one point? It, it depends what
0: you mean by recover. So if we talk about true recovery, the, the the people with sleep apnea that can, can that can do very well are uh, if if it's due to be huge tonsils. So there'll be a percentage of people that got really really big tonsils, and when they fall asleep, it's the tonsils which is doing most of the obstruction. And you get those those tonsils removed, and great, they they recover. You know, get rid of the sleep apnea. There are people who are really. Um, obese and they've got a very high BMI and body mass index. And if they can lose a lot of weight, they can get rid of most of their sleep apnea as well. Sometimes not all of it because it, sleep apnea can, we also see probably about 40% of the people we see are not overweight at all. And they might be on the younger side at all. And then a lot of it is hereditary and genetics and and to do with the kind of structures in the back of the, the and sometimes it's physiological as well as the muscle reactivity to low oxygen levels. So it may not be anatomical at all. So there's a percentage of people, a a smallish percentage where they can look at curing it or getting rid of it so that they don't need any active treatment. But a large percentage of people at, at this point in time, they're going to be dependent on treatment. So it'll be either, as I said, CPAP machine or oral appliance. There might be some people. There are some people where their sleep apnea is only when they're on their back, and there's some really sophisticated methods now of keeping people on their side so they don't actually then need CPAP or an oral appliance. But that's a small group of people. If they, because some people find it very hard to sleep on their side because they've got shoulder problems or um arthritis or issues like that, they have to sleep on their back. But but. So that those people can, can do well. Uh, but apart from that, it's uh, it, and, 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 I, and I must say, there is surgery as well. So, so there, there are people that, that are candidates for surgery. So, for example, the, the oral appliance holds the jaw forward. It's possible now to have maxillomandibular advancement surgery where the jaw is moved forward surgically and the airway, and the results are, are good with that. Uh, the problem is that, as you can imagine, it's it's pretty significant surgery, and it brings the lower jaw forward. So you've, the facial aesthetics have got to be able to deal with that, and with you know with it, with it still looking aesthetic. But there are other surgical solutions. There's expansion now. There's expanding the palate. So there are dentists doing orthodontics where they try to increase the. The, the space the airway space inside the mouth with you know and it's it's a it's a new area it's another controversial area as well so they they're all and 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 then there's things like hypoglossal nerve stimulation which is a, it's like a pacemaker implant which can be put under the under the skin around the chin to try and put pulses of electricity to tighten the muscles that are responsible for the sleep apnea side of things but again they are they're a bit invasive, intrusive-type treatments. They're not mainstream treatments at all. And the two main treatments still, which are like conservative and reversible, are oral appliances or CPAP machine. And to answer your question, like how effective are they? I mean, CPAP is 100% effective, but the problem is that that it's difficult to use. So if someone's severe, they, they've got to have a really high air pressure going through the airway to keep it open, and it may not be possible to tolerate that. And with oral appliances as well, it may not work for everyone. Uh, it works for most people, but some people have got problems with t- they're missing too many teeth, for example. or They've got dental dental problems, which will, which will prevent them from using an appliance. But but they're both they're both um, overall they're both really successful treatments. Oral appliances, you know, I, I mean, over ninety percent of people will get a really good result. CPAP, um, yeah, again, it varies a lot on the on the CPAP. Yeah, distributor or company that a person goes through because people need a lot of support in that first month or so. And if, if they get the right support and have the right expectations, they can get used to it. You know, unfortunately, here in Australia, often, you know, chemists are selling it as a product and it's just kind of given to a patient with minimal support. And it's very difficult to use in those circumstances.
2: My final question for you, Dr. Ball, if people listening to this episode suspected they may indeed have disordered breathing and they're having trouble sleeping and they have insomnia, etc., who should be their first port of call? Should it be a, a doctor or somebody with a dental background, a sleep physician like yourself?
0: Yeah, look, I think a sleep physician would be probably the best port of call or it could be a dentist as well. So often patients are going to... Have got a regular dentist that they that they go to maybe annually, and and but not all dentists are trained in it. That's the only. But it, if if the dentist is trained in the area, they're working in partnership with a sleep physician, and 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 a sleep study and assessment can all be organised. But um, and look, there there are GPs that you know, the patient's GP is, is could be a good place to go to as well if the GP is knowledgeable in in. In this area, but again, it would the sleep, the sleep, the GP would be working with a sleep physician uh, in partnership. And here in Australia, the patient really can't go straight to a sleep physician. They really need to get referred via a GP in order to get Medicare rebates. So the GP here would be the first port of call, or or a dentist. So so, but yeah, very much recommend if anyone again, it's snoring would be the number, if, if someone doesn't snore, then okay, you can eliminate sleep disordered breathing. Um, if they snore, get that assessed. And, but if you're tired and you think there's another sleep disorder there, then don't put up with it because it can have a really big impact on quality of life, mood, uh, you know, a major cause of depression, anxiety, uh, memory, concentration. Uh, but also health. I mean, your chances of having, you know, an early death is is a lot greater depending on the the level of sleep apnea.
2: Well, a really important, interesting and informative discussion, Dr. Harry Ball, the co-founder of the Dental Sleep Institute. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Matthew. It's a pleasure
1: well thank you for listening to this episode of the happy habit podcast if you'd like to support what i'm doing here and if you're getting value from any of these 360 plus episodes please like subscribe share and leave the podcast four or five stars if you believe you're getting value from the series and we deserve it well thank you until next time stay happy